0: The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Thanks for tuning in to the Paul Leslie Hour. On this very episode, we're presenting the interview with guitarist, record producer, and songwriter Danny Korchmar. Danny Korchmar is one of those legendary musicians in the world. He's worked with a lot of singer-songwriters. James Taylor, Carly Simon, Carol King, David Crosby, Neil Young. He's known as a great co writer and has written songs with guys like Jackson Brown and Don Henley, just to name a couple. Danny Korchmar has recorded solo albums, among them Cooch, which is his nickname, and Innuendo. He's also produced for a lot of artists, such as Don Henley, John Bon Jovi one of my favorite albums of all time, Billy Joel's River of Dreams record that was the last Billy Joel studio album. I remember this interview like it was yesterday. It was recorded at the fabulous Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Atlanta, Georgia. Danny Korchmar was performing with the James Taylor and Carol King Troubadour reunion tour. I had just recorded an interview with bassist Leland Sklar. And immediately thereafter, I did this interview with Danny Korchmar. It was June 2010. It's my pleasure to present this to you all, the listeners of the podcast. I hope you all enjoy.
1: It's with great pleasure we welcome guitarist, session musician, and songwriter, Mr. Danny Korchmar. Thanks so much for making the time to do this. My pleasure. Thank you. My first question, who is Danny Korchmar?
2: That's a weird question, man. I don't know. I guess I, I never th- think about that too much. I just follow my instincts and do what I do. You know, I've been able to have uh, separate careers as a, uh, as a guitar player and as a songwriter and as a producer. So I guess I'm all three of those things, but they all kind of blend together anyway. They're all connected.
1: Growing up, what kind of music did you like? Well, I grew up in a time
2: when uh, there was an explosion of all kinds of music. So uh, I was influenced by folk. There was a big folk boom at that time that uh, Dylan talks about in his book, the Chronicles, uh, everyone was listening to folk music and listening to the Harry Smith collection, the famous Harry Smith boxed set of, of rural folk music. And then there was also a huge jazz explosion. jazz was really happening then. And I, uh, I lived outside of New York city, but I was in there all the time as a as a kid listening going to places like Birdland and the five spot. And I got to hear the original John Coltrane quartet with uh, Elvin Jones and McCoy Tyner, Jimmy Garrison. And, um, Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers, and I loved all that stuff, so that would loomed large. Then also the Village Gate, downtown in Greenwich Village, I went to see Lightning Hopkins, one of my heroes, so I was really into blues, and I still am very much into blues. And I used to also go with my friends up to the Apollo Theater and, and uh, catch the shows up there, and so I was very, very heavily into rhythm and blues and soul music. And all this stuff was flourishing at the time when I was growing up, so it was kind of a perfect storm of of, uh, musical influences. I loved them all, and they all informed me.
1: Can you remember the first time when you realized that your path was a musician? Well, uh, I had been taking guitar
2: lessons since I was about 10 years old. My mother insisted I take guitar lessons, and I really didn't think much of it. I would sit there and play scales and I remember I had a kitchen timer on, and, you know, I'd play for exactly, I would rehearse, I would practice for exactly 20 minutes or exactly a half an hour because my mother made me. But then um, after a couple of years, I found those three chords, the one, four, and five chord with which you could play all the Buddy Holly songs and the Elvis Presley songs and all kinds of folk songs. And at that point, the heavens opened, and I no longer needed to be prodded to play the guitar. I couldn't get enough of it. And that's when everything changed, when I realized I could actually create music that was at least kind of similar to what was happening on the radio. And I never looked back after that.
1: You're joining us here You're on the uh, Troubadour reunion tour with James Taylor and Carol King. Tell us about meeting James Taylor for the first time.
2: I met James. Uh, both our families would go up to Martha's Vineyard for the summer when we were kids. And this is the late 50s, uh, like 58, 59, right in there. Martha's Vineyard at the time, now, of course, it's a great deal more crowded and more active. But at the time, it was a very kind of laid-back place. General store, there was, a, I remember, a dog used to fall asleep on the street in front of the, the menemsha store, which was a kind of a beautiful little fishing village. Now that could never happen because there's just so much traffic there. But at the time, it was very laid-back, very relaxed. So I was sitting on the um, front porch out there, and uh, here comes James. He sits down. We were just kids. We started talking and started hanging out. I realized we had a lot in common and just hit it off as friends it was a long time before it was i mean it was at least several weeks or you know because we used to spend back then family spent the whole summer up there which rarely happens now but at one point uh we were walking somewhere or doing something hitchhiking that's how we used to get everywhere everywhere by hitchhiking and he started to sing he started to sing a ray charles song and i mean i flipped because i realized right away he had it that he had the ability to sing this music which was the stuff that I loved more than anything. You know, so we started playing music. We started getting involved in music together and it grew from there.
1: Well, tell us a little bit about Carole King. How did you meet her and what was your first impression of her?
2: I knew all about Carole King and Jerry Goffin as being one of the great songwriting teams and I loved their music and, and I knew all about them as well as uh, some of the other songwriting teams at the time. Barry Mann and Cynthia Weil and Bert Backrack and Hal David and, and uh, Jeff Barry and Ellie Greenwich and there was several of them those being the main ones. And I was very aware because I used to see that they had written a lot of the songs I loved. Carol and Jerry were primary in that uh, group of people. A buddy of mine who was playing in a band called The Middle Class, a fellow named Charlie Larkey. James and I had our little band, Flying Machine. We were playing down at the Night Owl Cafe down in Greenwich Village. Lots of other bands were playing there as well. One of them was this band, The Middle Class from New Jersey. They had gotten involved with, with Jerry and Carol who wanted to get involved in the new music. Jerry and Carol... They came up during the period of the Brill Building era, which I can't go into the, in detail now, but that was the songwriting headquarters where a lot of pop music was made. And when the Beatles hit, everything changed and groups, rock bands became the uh, lingua franca of the day. The, the uh, That became the, the zeitgeist. That was what everyone was listening to. Was Dave Clark and Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas. and These were the hit bands now. So Carol and Jerry wanted to be part of it. They got involved with the middle class, as I said. And uh, Charlie happened to be down there. The middle class also played the Night Owl, and we got to be friends. And he, his band, like I said, had been hooked up with, with Carol and Jerry, and he invited Carol down to hear us play. And that was the first time I met her was the Night Owl Cafe when Charlie brought her down. And, boy, was I impressed because, like I said, I knew she was a genius long before I met her. I was very aware of what she had done, and I was really, really uh, thrilled to death to meet this extraordinary talent.
1: Doing this tour, the Troubadour reunion, through the eyes of Danny Korchmar, what has this experience been like?
2: I would have to say this is the greatest musical experience I have ever had in my life, because we are all brothers and sisters on this tour. It's really like being with family. These tunes are engraved in all of our psyches, and to play song after song like this with Carolyn James and with this amazing band who are all my brothers. Like I said, it's the absolute zenith of my career, I
1: have to say. Is there any memory from this tour thus far that sticks out in your mind as especially memorable? Yeah, all of it from day one.
2: Really? I can't, you know, just all of it. Just, just going to work with these people every day from the first rehearsal on was just, uh, uh, something that was so wonderful. And so, so such a deep part of me that I couldn't say one experience is better than another, but just uh, us being together is, is, uh, in itself, just a great experience.
1: You've worked with so many just absolutely legendary characters from Don Henley, Stevie Nicks. You could go on all day. Is there any in particular that you, as a special moment to work with, like I'm a huge Jackson Brown fan, you worked with him? Yeah. Could you pick one?
2: Well, I'd have to say, uh, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of a, a toss up because there's a lot of people I was involved with that it was great, making James's first albums with the same group of people. It was one wonderful experience. But if I had to pick something else, it would be Don Henley working on his three solo albums, which we did over uh, during the 80s. And Don had uh, the Eagles were on hold at that time. Don was really eager to establish himself as a solo artist. And he chose me to work with him to write, co-write, and co-produce with him. And so that whole period of time was just an extraordinary experience. That I love very much. Don is a brilliant, brilliant artist, one of the greatest, really, as a singer and a songwriter. The thing that Don doesn't do is he doesn't play a musical instrument, or he's not real proficient at one. So uh, he needed a collaborator, and, and um, we ended up—I ended up with the, in that position—and that was a tremendous thrill, and something uh, that's just informed me for the rest of my life. It was just great, and those records I think are
1: absolutely superb. You were just talking about co-producing those albums. How did you get into the production end of music?
2: Well, Peter Asher got me into it. Peter Asher was uh, the guy who produced James's early albums, and he was a dear friend of mine, even before he started getting known as a producer. I basically learned about production, as I think we all did, from Peter Asher, who was brilliant. And uh, not enough can be said about how important he is in all of our careers. He he was a real seminal figure and, and very important to all of us. And he expected a lot from us musicians um, when we did these dates. He expected us to come up with ideas. He expected us to think like producers. And, of course, after eight or ten years of, of uh, doing sessions for Peter and other people, but especially Peter, I felt that I was prepared to be a producer. And then Peter got me a job producing Carol's daughter, Louise Goffin, Carol and Jerry's oldest daughter, who had signed a deal with the Asylum Records. And I got this, this gig through Peter, and that was my first production experience. And as soon as I did it, I realized that that I thought I could be very good at it, that I had a lot to offer.
1: I was asking Leland if he could choose between recording music in a studio or performing on a tour. Mm-hmm. Could you pick one? Depends on who it's
2: with. There's nothing so thrilling as playing really, really great music like on this tour, playing great song after great song. I can't imagine anything being more thrilling than that and having the audience respond immediately. So that is a great thrill. On the other hand, I mean, you can't really compare the two. On the other hand, producing Henley was also amazing because you could try all kinds of different things. Don was really open to experimentation and he wanted to try all kinds of different techniques and sounds and musicians. and So that was also a, a huge thrill.
1: And I was reading on your website that you have an upcoming project. You were going to be recording uh, some interpretations of songs.
2: Right. I'm, I've been spending a lot of time at home before this tour, and I will again after... Uh, Re-recording a bunch of my songs that have been done by uh, other people. I'm amazingly lucky to have had my songs recorded by songs I wrote the music and lyrics to, recorded by these amazingly brilliant people like Jackson and Don and James. I mean, it's extraordinary to me that these guys who are one of the best songwriters perhaps ever, you know, uh, would be would consider doing songs of mine. But uh, since they did, I feel like I'd like to reinterpret them and keep them alive. And do them my own way. So I'm practicing my singing. I'll never be a singer like Don Henley or James, but I have my own way of delivering things. And uh, also, it's a lot of fun for me. It's it's uh, to revisit this material, and knowing now what what I didn't know then, and being able to come back and bring what I know now to these songs. So that's what I'm doing. We're doing that basically at home. I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to proceed with it. Whether I'll, oh, I really prefer to do it with a band, but since I don't have a band living in my house. I'm kind of doing it piecemeal, and then I'll probably overdub guys. I'm not sure. I'm going to try a few different things.
1: Of the songs from the catalog of King and Taylor that you guys have been doing on this tour, could you pick a song that was a favorite to do? No. No way? <laughs> <laughs> it would be
2: impossible. When we played Country Road, and I was one of the first people to hear that song 40 years ago. James played it for me days after he wrote it, and it killed me then. I thought it was like the greatest song I'd ever heard then. And when we play it now, it just rocks my world. Every single time we play it, kills me every time. But also Fire and Rain kills me every time. God knows how many times we've all heard or played that song. And yet it still gets to me. It's still extraordinary to play it. It's wonderful to play it. I really couldn't say once. I couldn't pick a song. When I look at the set list that we do every night, I go, oh, this one. That one, I I look forward basically to playing all of them.
1: Wow. I have two final questions in before I uh, ask those questions, I want everybody to check out Mr. Korchmar's Home on the Web. It's Danny, and then just so that you can write this down, it's K-O-R-T-C-H-M-A-R.com, DannyKorchmar.com. My two questions. First of all, what is your all-time favorite meal?
2: <laughs> all-time favorite meal? Oh, man. Probably shellfish. Probably a big platter of shellfish. Oysters, clams, shrimp. I would say that'd probably be it.
1: My last question for the one and only Danny Korchmar. This broadcast goes out all over the world. What would you like to say to all the people who are listening in?
2: Oh, I don't know. I don't have any one thing to say except peace and love, really. <laughs> and Keep music alive, you know. Let's keep listening and playing music. I would especially say to young musicians, don't quit. We need music in our lives. We absolutely need it. When Lee and I play these shows and we look at it and we hear it, you know, the response from the audience, we realize how much they need the music that we're doing, and this is extremely rewarding for us. So I would say to young musicians and old, let's keep music alive and vital. That's really the most important thing I have to say.
1: Well, Mr. Korchmar, it's been a pleasure to do this interview. Thank you. Thank you so much.
2: ba ba, ba da, beep ba boop da bo, poop da beep ba, da, leep. I the
1: walk on,
2: see you a